This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Swings it up the near side to Hannafin. He shoots. That shot gets knocked down. Here's Anderson to Lindholm. He scores! Elias Lindholm scores two goals in the first 35 seconds of the third period. And he blows this game wide open. It is 4-1 Flames. Well, there's some of that offense we've been hoping for. Calgary Flames used two Elias Lindholm goals early in the third period to down the San Jose Sharks last night, snap their losing streak, and start this four-game road trip off in style. Happy Monday. Welcome to the program. It is Sportsnet Today. You're on Sportsnet 960. We're coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio in Chile, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And yes, it's Logan Gordon along with you, uh, my board ops and producers for the day, Taylor Dingman and Cam in the other room. What's up, Cam? How are we today? Good morning. It's cold. It's the uh, afternoon. It's one o'clock. Getting our cold snap. It's one o'clock. I'm still waking up. It's nope. still morning for me. Nope. It's, uh, it's definitely one o'clock. You've been here for like two hours. Yep. And I'm still waking up. Not the morning it anymore. It happens. Nah, you're at work. You should be awake. Yeah, uh, but here we are. We'll tell our boss about that later. Uh, anyways, uh, welcome to the program. Two hours along with you on this Monday. Uh, lots to get to. We'll break down the flames and the sharks. Talk a little Team Canada with Peter Labardius coming up in just moments here. Uh, it was a wild... Week 15 of NFL action that ends off with Monday Night Football tonight. We'll do a little recap of the action that we saw there. Kind of just uh, about 1.30 here in segment number one, or segment two of hour one, I should say. Two o'clock, we'll uh, dive into the Sharks, the Flames' previous opponent, and their next opponent, uh, our pal Curtis Pashelka from the Bay Area News Group, going to drop by, and uh, lots more to get to on the program. But yes, let's start where we always do. That's by heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcoming in our pal for the Gemini Group, Home Renovations. It is Peter Labardius, and he is brought to you by the Gemini Group. They hope that your home renovations are a reflection of who you are. You can give yourself the Gemini difference by visiting the GeminiGroup.ca, now offering air miles, reward miles. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? I am uh, I'm hanging in. Good to hear. I'm hanging in. Yeah. Uh, keeping warm out? Is it cold enough for you or no? Uh, I haven't been outside yet, but it's a great day if you're part polar bear. <laughs> yeah, stay inside if you can. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty terrible out there, I'm not going to lie. But uh, mm-hmm. the flames uh, heating up, and they're in a much warmer part of the, uh, the hemisphere than we are over in San Jose, and uh, got some good things done last night. I, I played the Lindholm goal there because... It was an eventful start to that third period. The high stick, couple goals right off the start. One great setup by Huberto, another great setup by Anderson, and all of a sudden uh, the game takes on a much different feel early on in the third period. But what did you make of the whole effort last night in San Jose, Lou? Well, I loved their first period. I thought, again, the game was starting after the second period when San Jose was probably at its best in the game in the back half of the second and it's only two to one and the flames had many an opportunity especially in the first period to 
find themselves with a comfortable lead but did not have one, that were we going to have another nail-biter. But Jonathan Huberto steps out of the penalty box, taps the puck, makes a rocket of a pass that's brilliantly redirected into the net by Elias Lindholm. And Logan, going into the game on the pregame show last night, and we've talked about it a lot, Coming out of Friday's game against St. Louis, which had its highs and lows for sure, um, your best people, someone had to step up and put a great game on the table. And many of the Flames' best players did just that. And, And that was the part that I thought was the most impressive about the effort. You go up and down the score sheet, you know, let's start on defense, your top pairing is two points, and they're plus eight. That's pretty good. Um, Elias Lindholm, who is your most important forward, his first multi-goal game of the year, adds an assist, two goals and one. Kadri chips in with a couple. Dubé continues his fine play. He throws one in going to the net and beating Kacken and uh, give you a 5-1 advantage. I, I love their first. Hard not to like their third. Their goalie gives them just a steady, eddy, solid, real good in the back half of the second period in particular when they needed them to be. So this team is not going anywhere this year without its best people being at a high level. Let's look at sports everywhere. Look at what happened in probably the most remarkable World Cup final ever played yesterday in Qatar. Well, both teams' best people were at their best. And the Flames are going to need more of that and more consistency out of that to continue to play the way they want to. How important was that start to the third, Lou? Because I know they're up 2-1, but to me it had that feeling of, of similar games where maybe they were tied or only up a goal where you thought, man, you guys have been the better team for 40 minutes, but here we are with the game still being close. It, it kind of had a bit of that deja vu feeling, and then luckily a minute later it didn't feel like that anymore, but it, it could have felt that way for some people. Well, I just my first answer to you, that's what I said through two periods. It's like, here we go again. Yeah. So needless to say, yes, very, very critical. And I don't think, you know, any of us understand what it is like to be in games where every single shift, every single puck play, every single coverage feels like it could win you or lose you a game. And that's been the case for this team. And it was trending in that direction again but they get a lovely three goal explosion and a buck 21 and it allowed people to feel better about themselves certainly today and going into tomorrow had to be a nice feeling for everybody to go out there in the third period and not feel like if they made a mistake it might cost them two points that's a hard way logan to go about your business and that in a nutshell is why I respect and think so highly of players who are great in the postseason. Because that's what you're dealing with every night in the postseason. That's what it's all about. 
And, you know, the Flames have been in postseason-type games, game after game after game, with very little room for error. It's, it's forget about physically, where it really takes its toll is between the ears. And it does not lend itself to having a lot of confidence. Especially, what it does give you all the confidence in the world when you're on the right end of those one-goal games. It sure doesn't when you're not. And the guy getting it done last night, I don't... I mean, you and me have had these conversations on the air and off the air about how important he is. But uh, you know, for the, I guess just the listener tuning in, uh, Elias Lindholm offensively and defensively is just so impressive and so important to this team. And when he's going, it's just a different group, Lou. Well, it is a different group because he does so much and he checks every box. Special teams first power play a lot of times he's the first guy over the boards and the first two penalty killers um you know we won 63 percent of his face-offs again last night I, I i said it from start to finish of last year and i know there were other players here who had more points there's nobody more important at forward than this guy there wasn't last year there's not this year and i actually think you know, with Kadri and and Backland, this team's strength is down the middle of the ice when everybody's going good. And I had hoped this year that maybe it would take a little pressure off Elias. But in fact, I think at times, I think he relishes being the guy that's kind of this team's Mr. Fix-It. I really do. And, and I've said it a few times, I think early on, maybe because he didn't have to do the same type of work this year with some of the other people he's been playing with, that maybe that actually took a little foot off the gas for him. Not intentionally, you'd think it would make it easier. But he was clearly at the top of his game. He's this team's most important forward and um, great to see him be rewarded for, for his efforts with a, a really, really important game. And if you go back, and I know you probably have Logan, that first goal that he scores on that rocket of a pass is not easy. Because no. that pass by Huberto was a great one, and it was – probably launched over there at about 70 plus miles an hour. And it, it took a lot to redirect it into the net. Trenton with Peter Labardius. He joins us every single day to kick off the program here on Sportsnet today. It's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. And uh, Lou, we're going to pivot a little bit here. Our pal uh, Wes Gilbertson from Post Media and, uh, of course, uh, an occasional contributor to uh, Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg has tweeted out uh, lines at practice today in San Jose, and there's a couple of interesting things I'd like to get your reaction to if you're okay with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, first things first, on the injury front, uh, a mixed bag here. Tanev is skating at practice today, and he is back on that pairing uh, with Mackenzie Weger. That's great news. Bad news, Zadorov and Gilbert not practicing today, and we wondered about that yesterday, Lou. Gilbert Look, that's a tough young man who's been willing to put it on the line this year, and that was a great tilt last night, but he caught one 
late, had to leave for concussion protocol and didn't come back. And then Nikita Zadorov late in the game took that one. It looked like off the wrist or the arm area, and he was off pretty quick. So we wondered about that. So good news, Tanev's back, but maybe lose Zadorov uh, in all of this too. Well, I would suspect that's going to be the case because generally when a player gets hurt, his reaction will tell you everything. And the fact that, you know, Zdorov got hit, didn't even pass go at the bench. He went right to the room. That's never a good sign because guys know when they're really hurt. And he obviously felt it. And I can't imagine that's necessarily going to have a real good ending. So having Chris back, needless to say, is, is, is massive for this team. It's the first time they've won a game in regulation this year without him in the lineup. So, you know, that's, that's, that just tells you everything you need to know about his importance to this team and, and how he makes everybody in the group better but Logan it was almost bound to happen when you go through a year like last year where you basically roll out the same six every game the same way and you're the number one team in terms of man games lost at the end of the regular season chances are it wasn't going to be quite that smooth again this year and it has not been and So we'll see what that means in terms of somebody's going to have to come up on the trip for sure if Gilbert and Zadorov are not available. And I don't expect that they will be to be, you know, number seven in case of of illness or, you know, even the possibility of of putting someone in depending on how you want to go about your business. Yeah, based on on that wouldn't stun me if we were to see a, a recall from this team again while they're out in California to, to have that seventh defenseman around, but we'll we'll wait and see before and we I'm get anything. I'm going to guess, Logan, and, and I've watched the Wranglers a lot lately. Yeah. Uh, I would really think unless they decide that, you know, somebody down there needs a carrot, um, I would think, I would think E. Simone. Now, the only other guy that intrigues me a little bit a little bit is Poirier. Hmm. And the reason, and the reason I say that is I would think, and I, and I don't want to disrespect the ducks in any way, shape or form. But if I was going to take a look at Poirier a little bit, I don't, uh, you know, wouldn't be the worst spot to get him in. Him and Stone as a third pairing, and maybe you give them a crack on your second power play unit, depending on how the next couple of games go, a possibility for me. So those would be the two names, E. Simone and Poirier, that come to mind when Brad Treleving and, and the coaches get together to make that decision. So those are the changes on the back end. The changes up front are a little bit more thorough, and I'll get your your thoughts on this here. The top line of Dubé, Lindholm, and Toffoli stays together, but we've seen changes in other spots. Uh, Huberto with Kadri and Lucic today. Manjapani on the left side of Backland and Coleman. 
Ruzichka with Lewis and Richie and Phillips rotating through on the right side of the fourth line. So Lucic, after a strong game last night, Lou appears to be up with Huberto and Kadri, Manjapani on the left side of Backlund and Coleman. Well, remember, you're always tailoring your lineups based on your opponent. So you're playing the same opponent again. Um, I don't mind it at all. Uh, I did see a little bit of synergy with Kadri and Huberto and with Milan. Um, now, it, it's it's a little interesting for me if Milan's on the right side of that group. I don't really remember him playing his offside very often. Um that one's a little intriguing for me, but it does give you someone who obviously can create room and space and have a good working mentality. Um, Andrew has always been a good fit, I think, with Backlund and Coleman. We've seen a lot of it, especially last year, and it was it was pretty successful. So you're trying to tailor your group. Um, the Flames, for me, have have a real edge in terms of when it gets past line number two, if you play the right way, once you get past the hurdle line and the couture line. So I would think, you know, Daryl's Daryl's probably, and he doesn't necessarily get to dictate it, but he'd, he'd probably be a okay with, you know, having Backlund play more minutes and that line more minutes in a checking responsible role, you're always going to depend on Elias to be in good shape regardless of who he is with. And, and that might free up Kadri and, and Huberto for some more favorable type matchups. That's, that's how I see it. And Adam's play has fallen off. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's fallen off, so I understand why that would be the case. And that's been the battle with Adam since uh, as long as I can remember, Lou. It's never that he's never had the tools. You've talked about it. I've heard people in the organization talk about it. It's not for a lack of skill or a lack of talent or anything. It's just putting it together for long stretches, and that's part of becoming an NHL. And you're right, that that's exactly what I was going to talk to you about next was it it feels like it's been trending this way for Adam the last couple of games. Yeah, it does. And so that aspect of it is is not surprising to me. And and you know, Daryl Daryl understands Milan's um importance, not even just what he does on the ice, but if if you have one of your key leaders and Milan addressed it you know, very well in the last few days. When he's not feeling good about himself, he's also not going to be as good for other people. Mm. So you want to try and get a little bit more out of that so he's feeling better and, you know, then probably settles back into really the type of role that I see him with is, you know, in that 10-minute a game category, giving you good, hard, physical shift, momentum changing, you know, ice time that can really set up other groups 
and put them in a better position. Uh, so that's the least with the Calgary Flames. They're, of course, uh, in San Jose today getting set for another matchup with the Sharks tomorrow night, the old uh, 8.30 puck drop tomorrow, and we'll get a couple of those this week. Uh, but while the Flames are off, Lou, there is some interesting hockey to watch tonight. Uh, Team Canada hits the ice for their first matchup tonight. They'll have a pre-tournament game against Team Switzerland. And uh, the group coming together now, it's going to be interesting to get a chance to see this group on the ice for the first time. Uh, if you've missed it and you haven't seen some of the, the lines out there today, the right was in that center ice position with Bedard on his wing. That second line really looks good, Lou, with Fantilli and Stan Coven and Gunther all together. What uh, what intrigues you the most about seeing this uh, Canadian group together for the first time tonight? Well, I just I just want to see some of their chemistry. Um, I'm really I'm not as intrigued, frankly, about you know the big guys outside of Fantilli. Um, you know, I haven't seen Fantilli as much as I have seen those other gentlemen, which I have seen a ton of. And I'm interested to watch his progress and see him on a world stage, not necessarily tonight against Switzerland, but um, I always look at these kind of games this way, Logan. In, in years that Canada has some pre-tournament struggles, I don't find that that usually bodes well when the tournament happens. But, you know, if, if they come out tonight and they'll be excited because they haven't played a game together. And um, Swiss hockey is a little concerning for me right now. They, they've not really sent a very good group to this event. You know, going back to Nico Heischer's last year when, you know, they got to the quarters and, and, and made it really difficult, if I'm remembering correctly, against the United States. In a quarterfinal game, um, it's it's been tough sledding for them. So I'm excited to see that. I really want to watch them on defense, but especially when they get to the game against Finland on the 23rd, because I have some question marks about seeing who number four is going to be. Um, assuming I have no worries about Olin Zellweger, he's going to be this team's best guy, I think, again. Uh, see how Brant Clark adapts as a player who hasn't always, with his attitude over the years, um, you know, endeared himself in the Hockey Canada process. See where his game is at, because he could be an absolute tournament-changing defenseman in in this event. So lots to watch um, and excited about. You know, seeing players like Caden Bankier of, of Kamloops and Colton Dock, who's Kirby Dock's brother. It's exciting, too, Logan, because, you know, from a Western Hockey League standpoint, the league is in a really good groove these days talent-wise, and it's, it's well represented again on this team. Um, and do not take your eyes off Logan Stankoven. I'm going to say it now, and somebody can put it down. They can tape it. I'm going to guess when January 4th and 5th rolls around, he's going to have his hands all over some big moments again for his country. And uh, before I let you go, I guess I should congratulate your uh, 
Big purple Vikings uh, NFL record, Lou, over the weekend. Not one that yeah. you you want, but one that you got. Well, you know, um, I flew up to Edmonton where I got stuck last night thanks to, uh, you know, I, I generally fly to see my son when the weather gets bad because I don't want to be stranded in places that I can't get back to, you know, with bad weather or bad highways or so you think flying would work. Well, yesterday it didn't. But on Saturday, I started my trip watching on my phone a brilliant first quarter by Purple, down 17 to nothing to the Indianapolis Colts. Thankfully, I couldn't watch for the rest of the flight. I did get to where my son was, and I still am not sure how that team pulled it off. And you know what? They actually got some stops in the second half. This defense can make any team look good. Any team. But it was something. Good news, you got the best wide receiver out there for my money. There is absolutely no denying that Justin Jefferson is that. He is an incredible talent yeah unbelievable 11 and 3 now Kirk Cousins almost passed for 500 yards in that one what a crazy game that was crazy yeah weekend of NFL nuts. yeah yes it was a crazy what on earth was the guy for the Patriots oh, doing we're going to talk about that in the next segment I have absolutely no idea in my wildest dreams what he was thinking the you know, craziest end of a football game I think I've ever seen it's 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 Probably fitting that happened in Vegas, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I feel you for that one. Have a great afternoon, Lou. We'll chat with you on a game day tomorrow, pal. Sounds good. There you go. Bye, everybody. There you go. P. Labardius, color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960, brought to you every single day by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. They know your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give yourself the Gemini difference. Visit the Gemini Group at geminigroup.ca. And they are now offering air miles, reward miles. We'll talk about uh, just that, the crazy ending between the Raiders and the Patriots yesterday. A couple other great finishes across a busy weekend of NFL football. NFL recaps coming up next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Week 15 of the NFL season wraps up tonight with what could have been a pretty unbelievable Monday night matchup late in the season, but instead is just kind of two middling teams that really aren't going anywhere and you're just kind of waiting for the offseason to begin it's the Rams and the Packers tonight this is Sportsman today Logan Gordon along with you we'll go through a little bit of an NFL week 15 recap with you because there were some wild finishes and storylines to get to following yesterday's action just just not really excited for Monday night Rams 4 and 9 Packers 5 and 8 Baker Mayfield versus Aaron Rodgers. Sure, NFL schedule makers had this panned as a massive NFC battle between two Titans that were looking to head to the playoffs on a strong note. Didn't happen that way. 
they pull up the current NFL playoff picture. Will I even say, I don't think I'll see the Rams anywhere in here. The Packers might have an outside chance. Yeah, Packers have an outside chance of this thanks to the Washington loss, but Lions and Seahawks still two games ahead of them. It's not going to happen. Nice of them to show the Rams on the graphic, though, even though it's not going to happen. They're there. 4-9, no Stafford, no Cup. Eliminated teams after Week 15, Texans, Bears, Cardinals, and Broncos. Talked a little bit in that first segment about the with with Lou, the as if you know you've listened to a long this show for a long time, Lou's a, a big Vikings fan. And Saturday had that triple header of of action. Thirty three nothing at halftime for the Colts. Vikings come back to win it thirty nine thirty six in overtime. So yeah, that might be the craziest thing that we see this weekend. It wasn't which is saying something, but it was pretty close. So let's get to it. Let's get to an NFL recap. Week 15, we have to start with this game, the Patriots and the Raiders, a massive game when it comes to the AFC playoff picture. We're in Las Vegas. The Raiders are still somehow in this. The Patriots still sticking around. Mac Jones versus Derek Carr. It's a back-and-forth affair, and we head to the fourth quarter with this one seemingly set for overtime, Patriots with the ball late, like seconds remaining in the game, and a chance to, you know, let's try a little bit of a play. Let's see what happens. If we can get a, a miracle thing, if not perfect, we'll we'll head to we'll head to overtime. That's Not exactly what happened, and it gave us by far, for my money, one of the wildest finishes to an NFL game we've ever seen. This is what happened with seconds remaining in a tied football game. Patriots with the ball. Mac Hollins out on defense. He's all the way back. And Stevenson is inside the 30, flips it back. Stanford band nowhere in sight. Uh-oh. It's picked off. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Incredible. Chandler Jones takes it in and wins the game for the Raiders. Have you ever seen an ending like that I have never one? seen anything like that. I have no idea why he was doing that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh my goodness is right. Now, the visual will help, and I will try to paint the picture for you. But as I mentioned, we are in a tied football game with seconds remaining. Patriots with a long way to go before they get to the end zone. Try to run a play. Maybe it's a miracle. Maybe you miss a couple tackles on the Raiders side of things and you somehow find yourself in the end zone. Ramondre Stevenson gets the ball. And actually, as you hear on the clip there, is anyone going to tackle? Yeah, he gets a decent chunk of yards on the play, and you think, hey, maybe something happens here. Raiders quickly close in. Before Stevenson goes down, he laterals the ball to Jacoby Myers. 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a little schoolyard football action. Perfect. Myers has a couple of seconds with the ball, trying to figure out what to do, and he laterals it back. I don't even know, 10, 15, 20 yards. And the only person there is defensive end Chandler Jones, who takes the ball, stiff arms Mac Jones into the turf at Allegiant Stadium and runs it in for the game-winning football uh, for the game-winning touchdown. It is an unbelievable ending to a game that was tied, didn't need to be lateraled around. It was not a win must-win situation. They could Myers could have gone down and the play would have been over. It would have ended. But as we hear again from a different call, madness ensues. Three seconds to go. It's a handoff. Stevenson up the middle. Breaks one tackle at the 50 to the 45-40. Stiff Army's free at the 35. Drops it behind him to Jacoby Myers, who circles and laterals it. And it's intercepted by the Raiders. Going the other way. Down the sideline at the 20-yard line to the 10-yard line. Touchdown, Vegas. What a wild finish. Talk about handing your opponent a victory. I've watched a lot of football and I've never seen anything like that. There's wild finishes. There's wild finishes every week. Game-winning field goals. The Jags had a pick six to win things over the Cowboys in a huge upset. I've never seen a guy just toss it back like Jacoby Myers does in a situation where the game is tied. And it's right to Chandler Jones, who is, you know, a pass rusher. He's behind the play. Still dealing with Matt Jones. And like I said, he grabs the ball, puts Jones into the turf, and walks it in for the craziest touchdown to end a game I, I can really remember in a very, very long time. Now, the positive in all of this, if you're a Patriots fan, Jacoby Myers, of course, had to answer to the media post game. And look, big ups to the guy who cost his team a win. There's or not necessarily a win, but definitely cost them the result. He stood up in front of the media yesterday and wasn't about to let anybody else take blame for what happened on that final play. Uh, so, uh, take us through on uh, the last play. Just you know, what, was the, was the plan to lateral the ball? No, no, nah, just trying to do too much. I'm trying to be a hero, I guess. You call it kind of. I didn't see the dude back there trying to throw the ball. Like I said, I was just doing too much, you know what I'm saying? Should have just went down the ball. Jacoby, I'm assuming you knew the score was tied yeah. at that point. And was there any communication? No, email no, that was just me. That was me. There was no communication? In the no, no. That? I promise you, that was just me trying to make a play. Jacoby, what was the, the last message there in the, in the huddle? Was it just they were going to take a shot here and then play for overtime? Just run the ball, go down, go to overtime, yeah. And I got the ball. I tried to make a play. Did Mondre say anything to you before he pitched it? Like, hey, you know, heads up kind of thing. You know, he yelled with his face there before he got your ball. Nah, not that I remember. You're surprised that he pitched it to you? I mean, whether he did or not, that ain't his fault. He gave me the ball. I got to be smart with it. Jacoby, when you turned to throw, did you see someone or did you just fire it because you happened to see a blue shirt? What did you see when you saw? I saw, uh, I thought I saw Mac open. 
I didn't see Chandler Jones at the time. So I just was, thought he was open, tried to give it to him. Then let him try to make a play with it. But the score was tied, so like I said, I should just went down for real. Were you a little surprised that Mondre got your ball in that, in that situation? It ain't even about Mondre, you know what I'm saying? Once he give it to me, I'm smart enough to know the score was tied and to go down with him, you know what I'm saying? So whether he gave me the ball or not, I mean, he gave it to me because he trusted me, you know? So I just got to be smarter with it. Big ups to Jacoby Meyer. It's a tough spot. You made a mistake. But he wasn't about to lay it on the coach. Yeah, oh, we talked about maybe doing a lateral thing. No, I I got the ball. I made a decision. It was the wrong one. I tried to be a hero. Turned into a zero play. Oh, did, did, did Ramondre say anything? No, Ramondre didn't say anything to me. I got the ball. I have to make a better decision. Big ups to that guy. That's a it's a play that's it's all over Twitter. It's NFL recaps, the sports highlight shows. It's everywhere. It's the it's one of the craziest finishes to a to a game. The guy owned it, and I got to give him a lot of credit for that. It's a huge game for them too in the playoffs seating in the AFC. It's a tough way to go out. You could have head to overtime at twenty four twenty four. With your team still a chance to win it, and you made a bad play. Good on him for for owning up to it, though. The Sunday nighter came with a bit more controversy. Didn't quite have the finish that that game between the Patriots and the Raiders did, but it sparked a debate about bringing in reviewable pass interference. And here's the story: Giants and Commanders. Big game in the NFC playoff picture. They're both fighting for that last playoff spot in the wild card situation, and they met last night on Sunday Night Football. This one was all Giants until the third and fourth quarters where the commanders started to claw back into this one. They're down eight with a chance to get the ball back. Taylor Heineke working some magic, gets his team all the way down, to the Giants' one-yard line. You still have to score. You still need a two-point conversion just to tie the game and send it to overtime. So there's no guarantee of a win here for the Giants. There's an unusual sequence with Terry McLaurin, the star-wide receiver of of the Commanders, where he appears to check to make sure he's onside with the official. Official tells him, back it up a little bit. McLaurin does and looks to confirm with the ref again. As soon as the ball is in play again, flag on the commanders, back it up. They're furious. McLaurin is furious, but they still have a chance at this one. Still very close. Couple more plays go by, fourth down. Last chance for Heineke and the Commanders to get into the end zone and try to force this one into overtime. Heineke, looking, seeking, out of the play. Heineke throws, incomplete. Broken up by Darnay Holmes. Game over. Holmes breaks it up. Nothing to see here. Except when you focus in on Holmes... And his matchup with Curtis Samuel, he's all over him in the end zone. 
it is defensive pass interference a hundred times out of a hundred. No flag on the play. Game's over. Commanders don't have a chance. And as most NFL broadcasts do, the Sunday Nighter last night, Terry McCauley, a rules expert, on the play, is asked for his opinion, and former NFL officials pretty clear with what he saw on the play. It's clearly a foul, Chris. He grabs his arm. He plays through the back. It's clearly before the ball gets there. This is defensive pass interference, and it really should be called whether it's the end of the game, beginning of the game, doesn't matter. It's always a foul and should have been called. Head coach Ron Rivera, the Washington Commanders last night, not happy about either of the plays and didn't want to get into it. Terry seemed pretty adamant he had pointed his hand out to the ref. What, what was the explanation? What did you guys see on, on the film? Looked like Terry pointed That's his hand That's exactly out. what I thought, too. Thank you. And I got to ask about the Curtis one as well. Um, it, it, the fourth down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah. in fact, don't ask me about the refereeing because I can't answer the question. Not a happy camper. And, look, uh, officials are always in a tough spot. It's very often a thankless spot to be in. But you have to make the right call. And and I don't know if, because there's so much review, and I know when we've had these conversations before, the text line lights up 960-960, where you can always put in your opinions uh, on what we're talking about on the show. You know, there's there's a good segment of people that listen to this program, listen to the station, say, I have I've had enough video review. Last week when we were talking with Haley Salvian and going over the McDavid offside, people I've look, I got enough video review. We stopped the game too many times for video review. And then something like this happens, and you have to wonder if there is any way, shape, or form that comes into play here to make the right call without maybe without going. I don't know if it's the official upstairs. If there's adapting a CFL rules, can coaches challenge it? What needs to, but something has to happen so that that play doesn't go uncalled. And yeah, it's a tough call for the official to make. I get it. It's a potential game-changing call. But it's a game-changing play. Holmes interferes with Curtis Samuel in every way, shape, and form. It makes it almost impossible for Samuel to even get a chance at that football. Make the call. That's what you're there to do is to make the call. I don't care if it's a tough call for you to make. If it's too tough for you to make the call, don't be out there. I don't know what angle, I don't know what, and this is the thing is we get no explanation for it today. Ron Rivera can't say anything last night because he'll take a $50,000, $100,000 fine for criticizing the officials. But how does that get fixed? And when we have no explanation, no backing from the league on it, we sit here and we say, okay, well, you got to do something. So give the coaches a challenge. Give an upstairs official 
a chance to review the play. Yeah, if I'm a Commanders fan today, I'm pretty pissed off about how that ended. And there's no guarantee they win the game. There's no guarantee they get in. There's no guarantee they get the two points and get it to overtime and win. The Giants were the better team for the majority of yesterday's game. But you better make the call that you're supposed to make. It wasn't one of those 50-50 gray area situations. The offside one in hockey, you want to have the a conversation about that being gray area and tough to see around? Sure. That wasn't one of them last night. And the NFL just looks stupid because this is going to happen in a big game and they're going to have nothing in place for it. Wait till it happens in January and someone's really pissed off. And it really affected the team. Yeah, okay, maybe Washington's not really a playoff team, but they're there. They've earned the spot that they're in. They've earned that that's a big enough game for them to be upset with. Got to make the call. Uh, a couple other finishes from last night uh, or yesterday on the NFL slate. Uh, I mentioned the Jaguars upsetting the Cowboys 40-34 to in overtime. A pick six leads to the win there. Uh, that was a, a wild finish and one that Cowboys fans won't be happy about falling to the 6-8 and eight Jaguars now. Uh, they had a pretty healthy lead heading into halftime but just blew it all up in the second half. Trevor Lawrence sure looks like he's coming along. Uh, he goes 27 to 42 for 318, four touchdowns and an interception. That was a big win for Jacksonville uh, on this season as they look like a much improved team from last year. And uh, another game last night that looked like it was going to be over at halftime. The Bucks were in control over the Cincinnati Bengals with a 17-3 lead, but it just doesn't feel like Tom Brady's got a lot of that magic left. His team found a way to lose yesterday. Ready for the shotgun snap. Joe catches the ball from the 10, throws to the end zone. Boyd goes to the ground. Yes. He's got yes. it. Touchdown, nice. Bengals. Boyd with an emphatic spike as Joe Burrow delivers the touchdown pass. That was one of four touchdown passes in the second half for Joe Burrow as the Bengals come storming back with 17 in the third quarter, 14 in the fourth quarter, and they down the Bucks 34-23. And at 6-8, and eight, the Bucks somehow still sit in first in the NFC South. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's all the off-field issues, if Tampa Bay's just not as good as we thought they were. And Tom Brady's had some great comebacks of his own this year. He's had a couple of fourth-quarter game-winning drives himself, but... It just it, everything feels difficult for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm not asking you to feel sorry for Tom Brady. You shouldn't. He's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of Super Bowl rings. He'll be fine. But for so long, NFL fans have wondered: Okay, is this is this finally it? Are we finally able to say that that Brady's not as good as he once was? I don't know if we're there yet, but it kind of feels that way. Maybe the team around him is not as good. It's just it's frustrating to watch if you're the Bucs. Now, 
of course, if they somehow wind up in the playoffs, which it looks like they, they will somehow, despite being a near or below 500 team, who's going to bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs? I, I probably still won't. He's still, he's still that good. Uh, Monday night or tonight, talked about a little bit earlier, Rams and Packers. Packers heavily favored in this one. They need to win desperately if they want any chance of being in the postseason conversation over the next couple of weeks. They're 5-8. and eight. They are 7.5-point favorites at home against Baker Mayfield and the Rams. Kickoff set for 6-15 from Lambeau Field. We'll take a break, wrap up Hour 1, kickoff Hour 2 of the conversation about the San Jose Sharks, the Flames' opponent from last night, and their opponent again tomorrow from San Jose. Curtis Pashelka, our pal from the Bay Area News Group, going to break down what's been an interesting season for the Sharks and what the future might hold for one Eric Carlson. We'll ask him that next when Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.